0: The Addiction
1: Podcast: Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason.
0: Hello, Joni. Here we are. Week. This is seventy three. Is it seventy three? Seventy three. Oh wow. Seventy three. Very good. And now we're um, we're approaching fall. Yes. And I and when we approach fall, my immediate excitement goes to it's almost Halloween.
1: Oh, I you love like, Halloween. You like Halloween?
0: I do because it brings back a lot of pleasure moments as a kid because. It's like you have that child like innocence and you, back in Massachusetts, it's like the, the seasons change Ooh, and the crisp. leaves are falling. It's crisp outside. Like, yeah. You can smell the people burning their leaves off in the distance. And it's just always something that brought back a lot of pleasure moments for me. But it also starts to make me nervous because every year there's always some ridiculous story of a kid getting drugs in their candy bag. by, And it's usually, and it's usually by people who are, Addicts themselves passing out candy and accidentally something gets put in. Oh. Um, last year, I think the story was uh, a mom was out sugar treating with her kids and they went home and did the whole like, okay, let's check your bags and candy and stuff. And they pulled out a, it was like the tip of a glove finger that was cut off and inside it was heroin. Oh. Which then I guess later was found to be some sort of like marijuana resin or something, but still it doesn't, at that point it doesn't matter. And so that always kind of makes me a little bit nervous about the upcoming um, Halloween season just because that's the time where we have to really be careful with our kids um, and given society is the way it is now and drugs are so predominant and some people who are under the influence and not thinking and you know just totally out of it may inadvertently give a kid drugs. I don't think people would – maliciously do it. I think it just it happens due to the carelessness because of the inability to pay attention to what's going on while you're high. You right. know what I mean? And the thing is with marijuana edibles, as usual parents have to be careful and make sure that doesn't make its way in either accidentally because those act end up accidentally getting mixed in with actual candy. Right. And, or cookies or whatever. And so well, we have gets- a
1: story about the fifth grader in New Mexico or wherever it was who took the marijuana gummies to school thinking they were gummy candies right. and shared them with his or her friends. Right. You know, so I can see how that would happen. You know, it's, just, just as a commentary, this is such a side note. But when I was little, I remember hearing some horror story about someone, you know, giving out apples with razor blades in them. And now, right. it's, and now it's drugs. So it's like there's always something that somebody is going to figure
0: out. It's the new apples with razor blades. Except the apples with razor blades, in my opinion, is more of a maliciously it's a malicious intent behind it. I think with the drugs getting found in kids candy bags i don't i is my opinion i could be wrong but i don't think anyone does it out of like i want to harm children it's just like the carelessness of whatever just it ends up in there yeah um i think you're right and so you know every year i end up writing a blog about what's happened this past halloween and uh there's there always seems to have been something that strange or stupid in my opinion that occurs right um but uh I, you and know, I were talking about this earlier, um, and I was discussing how, you know, the drug, the drug situation is constantly evolving, and right. it's constantly changing. And something I came across recently was I kept seeing this uptick in a trend of cocaine-related opioid overdoses. So for a while... Cocaine-related you
1: know, opioid overdoses, because cocaine is not an opioid.
0: Cocaine is not an opioid. Now, let's back up a little bit. So most people you know, who used opioids like heroin and stuff back in the day when the epidemic started to like kind of, you know, gain some steam. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when fentanyl came in and people started finding, you know, fentanyl mixed it with heroin everywhere and, and addicts start overdosing. And the sick part is a lot of heroin addicts would hear about certain dope spots in town where people are overdosing from fentanyl. And they actually would seek out that heroin because it was like more bang for their buck. So as time went on, you saw this huge increase in, um, Heroin-related overdoses because of the presence of fentanyl in the heroin. Now you fast forward and you come into the more present day and age of the uh, the drug epidemic and what's happening is there's a huge reduction in the amount of heroin on the streets. Most people that say they're heroin addicts are actually not even using heroin because heroin's really hard to find these days. It's all fentanyl. So there's a there's a downtrend on heroin-related fentanyl overdoses and a huge increase on a national level of cocaine-related fentanyl overdoses because fentanyl's actually being mixed into cocaine now. Wow. And, um,
1: and why is heroin now harder to get?
0: It, Do you know? Yeah, because uh, comparatively to fentanyl, it's very expensive. And so dealers can just sell fentanyl saying it's heroin. It's not heroin. They don't pay nearly as much but charge a ton for it and they make so much more money. It's a money-making thing, basically. Um, it's all in the money. Yeah, and back in the day, I mean, there was pretty high-potency heroin all over the place, you know, when I was towards the end of my addiction was where, was when the opioid epidemic really started to like gain steam and I actually started to come across like heroin addicts. I, I didn't think that was real. I always thought it was something you see in the movies and stuff. And so it actually was a real thing. And in the middle of my cocaine addiction, I actually saw, um, the rearing of the head of the opioid crisis. And so I would, uh, I would talk to these guys and most of the time there wasn't any fentanyl at all, and there were, people were actually using real heroin. Wow. Now it's just it's it's switched now to where there is no heroin or virtually no heroin. And if you do oh. buy heroin, you're getting a little bit of heroin, a little bit of fentanyl, and mostly some other like BS cut mixing stuff like baking soda and baby laxatives and sugar and stuff like it get. I mean, that's really what it ends up being. And so there's not that much heroin anymore. That's the thing people have to realize that. If you're, if, you, if you're a heroin addict and, or your kid's a heroin addict and you think that's what they're using, they're mostly using fentanyl, which is terrifying because we all know that fentanyl is extraordinarily dangerous, extraordinarily potent. And we're at the point where we don't know what fentanyl is what because of the weird analogs that are coming over from China. Right. So it's like you got this like strange version of fentanyl. You got this strange version of fentanyl. You got this strange version of fentanyl. And you might get all three in one bag and it's the game over. Um Wow. But now they're mixing it with cocaine, which is, I found kind of interesting. And I, I don't, there's the thought that dealers are doing it to make the cocaine more addictive. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. In my in my head, people like to speedball. Do you know what that is?
1: I think you've talked about it before, but I don't remember what a it is. A speedball is
0: when you mix a, 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 usually, a downer with an upper. It's a downer with an upper. Right. I mean, back in the day, if you mixed, um, heroin and meth it was called a goofball if you mixed heroin and cocaine it was called a speedball now speedball just refers to any stimulant opioid mix and so people like that and um i was actually watching a documentary called uh oh what was it called drugs inc or something like that it's like a documentary all about drugs and trends all over the country and stuff and it's i
1: think i know what you mean yeah it's some
0: it's some pretty raw stuff And, and dealers actually will sell pre-packaged speedballs because people like that. You get the upper, you get the downer. The fact of the matter is that's one of the most dangerous cocktails you can think of because because you your take heart
1: a, doesn't know what to do. Is your heart supposed to speed up? Is your heart supposed to slow down?
0: So sometimes it just, you, it just turns off. So it
1: just yeah short circuits.
0: Yeah, it'll just turn off. Wow. I mean, and wow. a lot of and a lot of celebrities, and notable celebrities, have died from speedballs. Yep. Um, John Belushi, Chris Farley, like those guys. Speedballs, cocaine and heroin mix or opioid right. mix, and so. That's the trend we're seeing. It was not that long ago where the CDC, the director of the CDC's son overdosed on fentanyl after taking cocaine. And from that point, I start to see more and more and more instances of it to where Massachusetts is actually seeing a huge problem with this, that people who are cocaine users are overdosing on fentanyl because it's being mixed into cocaine. Interesting fact: Back in the day, if you used coke and meth, you thought you were safe from that. Right, hell? right. You'd use that and say, "Hey, well, I mean, at least this isn't going to kill me like that." I mean, you very, you very rarely heard of people overdosing on cocaine. Right. You may you, there's definitely times you could take too much and get kind of overamped, but you'd chill out and it'd be fine. And you thought, you know, oh my god, those guys using heroin over there, They're killing themselves. Right. You always felt like this weird, like kind of safety. In that you weren't using something that contained a drug that could potentially kill you. But now it's like it's flipped around. And uh, the Department of Public Health in Massachusetts actually issued warnings to healthcare providers that it's like, hey, if you come across a patient of yours that happens to be a cocaine addict or uses cocaine or anything like that, you have to give them some information on what's going on because it's turning into a big problem. Wow. Um, and, you know, I think that just shows how the drug crisis is evolving, but it's not getting better. Right. So my thought is like, we do enough work on it, we change some things, and it'll get better. But instead, we're we're doing a lot of work on it, and somehow, some way, just kind of continues to slowly get worse.
1: So, but statistically, is it really getting worse? Are we not making some kind of a difference in the like the whole addiction arena? Do you think? No, I'm going to get really sad if you think we're it's just continuing to get re- worse and we're not helping.
0: <laughs> the way I look at it that it gets better is that there's constantly people that come into treatment in Narcanon, for instance and those people will go home and not be addicts right in that regard it gets better
1: well and possibly like what we were talking about today when we toured somebody through Narconon Suncoast hopefully the people who complete the Narconon program can go back and talk to the people that they know because typically an addict is not an addict all by himself no. he's got dealers he's mm-hmm. got friends yep. And I'm making that plural, quote unquote, friends who are also doing drugs. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it can actually snowball and that if nothing else, the people who graduate can get um, their friends and families of their friends to listen to the podcast. And hopefully we will affect more and more people that way. Exactly. Spread.
0: You know, the, the idea is to like talk to enough people about what's going on so that enough people have the information about what's going on. So maybe they can make better decisions for themselves or educate other people and kind of have it spread that way exactly and the reason I think the epidemic slowly gets worse is because I feel like so things go a certain way for a while and then I guess maybe authorities or the law enforcement ever starts to kind of catch on to certain things and so they kind of eradicate it for a second but then the big dealers and cartels and stuff like that find a workaround and then it comes back in another way and it's usually in a more harmful way for instance
1: I was just—I'm going to cut you off for one second. I think it changes the whole face of addiction changes. Yep. In that, you know, opioids from 1999, when Purdue said, "Oh, these are okay," you know, maybe till a few years ago, maybe even when we started the podcast, mm-hmm. and then, and then it will evolve because people are going to continue to use drugs of choice. But I would be interested in seeing what the numbers look like. That's all.
0: Yeah, I mean the numbers. I mean, I hope they're down this year. So far, I mean, it's too early to tell. We're still in the middle of the year. Right. You can see the statistics from 2017; that's been out. But I don't know what it's going to look like for 2018. And I think, from my perspective, it looks always looks bad because I constantly read bad news, what's going on. Um, and the sick part is, most people like w- of all the things that I put on Facebook, and I've never understood this. I can put the best, most beautiful success story on Facebook. And it gets like a little bit of attention, and people are like, "Oh, well done, and that's good, and stuff like that. But the thing that people really engage with and really react to is the bad news and like the awful things that are going on out there, and I don't understand that we have to focus on the successes that we're having. we need to focus on the good that's being done out there, and yes, of course, I will put up you know blogs and articles and things about some pretty troubling stuff that's going on out there. But I want those to start getting less attention I want people to start paying more attention to the successes that I put up there is that's what really we really need to be looking at is that like yeah, in the midst of all this mess and awful you know drug crazed times and this drug crazed society that we have there are successes being made and there's successes right. being had out of the whole thing
1: well, that's why we do this though, and that's why we interview the graduates that come out of the program and um, it was great. I got to meet Kurt today because right. we talked to him last week over Skype, mm-hmm. but I've never actually met him. He looks great. Yep. And, you know, we'll continue to talk to the graduates because they have, they all have varying stories to tell in terms of their addiction. Mm-hmm. I always like to reference Angela because she's kind of unique mm-hmm. in terms of the interviews that we've had. but um, But Kurt is definitely impactful because here's a 41-year-old sure. divorced father of two who right. was an addict and had to go through rehab and um you know so i think we'll continue to interview graduates because i think they all have a story to tell and i think you know it it ends well for those guys
0: you have to give the good with the bad you can't Absolutely. i just can't give bad news all the time because no. then it makes me upset well because- <laughs> and
1: yeah and and you are in the position where you are you're just dealing with people who come in who have a problem right now you do also get to see the graduates which is good but i mean it is your business
0: mm-hmm. so
1: you kind of have to stay up on the nastiness and the ugliness that is in the addiction arena if you will
0: yeah it's it's a mucky arena right. i mean it's definitely muddy and we'd have to kind of wade our way through it um and that and you know, when I say it, I see a lot I hear a lot of bad news, I see articles that are troubling and whenever we think we like start to catch on to something, like as far as you know, from a law enforcement standpoint or stuff like that, they'll switch up what they're doing. Yes. And those are the things I find troubling is because as soon as we think we're making some progress, it's like two steps forward and three steps back. It's like for instance, the the smugglers who are smuggling meth out of Mexico have gone away from smuggling the actual shards of meth. Because meth comes in these crystal glass shard-looking things, and they're kind of difficult to transport. We've got this big bulky bag with these big crystals in it. And I guess they wanted to figure out a way to get new customers, so what they started to do is grind it down and press them into pills that resemble Tylenol and uh, kids' vitamins. So basically... There was a huge drug bust. I think it was in Ohio or somewhere, and they the cops pulled all these bags of like pretty benign-looking over-the-counter pills out, um, and kids' vitamins, and they actually test a positive for meth. Oh and my so, god! My thought is like, what easier way to get people started on meth and to take the stigma of smoking or shooting meth out of it and just pressing it into a very like innocent-looking pill? You can just like pop your your meth pills. Wow. Um, and then the scary other part is that if you disguise meth as kids' vitamins, that could go south real quick.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: and so that's where things just get changed. The game changes. The yep. game is constantly changing. Yep. And we have to figure out my overall viewpoint is we have to figure out how to change society's viewpoint on how we deal with our problems. Because the way we deal with it now is we're hedonistic creatures, we're, ple- we're pleasure seekers as a species. As humans, we are pleasure seekers. We avoid pain at all costs. And it's all about how you deal with pain. It's how you deal with problems. It's how you deal with life or whatever it throws at you in general. That's going to dictate the outcome of like, are you going to get addicted to a drug or not? That's right. And until we have some sort of societal change that dictates, okay, this is how we deal with our problems for the most part. This is how we don't and move forward from there. That's the only point I think we're going to start to see a change in what's happening. I think Uh, you're right. And see a change in the drug crisis.
1: Just to remind everybody um, that's listening to the podcast today, if you have questions for Jason or if you'd like to know more about Narconon Suncoast or the Narconon program or really anything we've spoken about on the podcast, you can call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. But here's the thing. Even though the game keeps changing Mm – one of the reasons I think that what we do on the podcast is so valuable is because you know so much about this arena and so much about what's happening in addiction in this country and internationally mm-hmm. that with the 30,000-plus downloads that we get on this podcast, we are educating people on a regular basis. What? And Because and, what you said today, I think, is is you know, kind of mind blowing in terms of parents, if you're listening, loved ones, if you're listening, and you think your loved one is a heroin addict, you have no idea how at risk they are, because they could be doing fentanyl, they could be getting cocaine mixed with fentanyl, straight fentanyl, and it's way more lethal than heroin. So get help now. Don't wait, get help now. Don't, don't, don't. You know, sit around and think. Oh, what should we do? What should we do? Get help now.
0: That brings up a point that I want to discuss. Yes, a thing I hear a lot from families is that, yeah, you know, my son or my daughter want you know they're an addict and they've overdosed you know eight times this year. Um, they can't get their life together. They can't stop using, but um, they don't want help. And you know, if they don't want it, it's not going to work. So I don't want to do an intervention or anything like that, because if you force them into treatment, you know, it's not going to work and they're not going to do it for the right reasons. And I want to address that for just a quick moment, because anyone who thinks that is a misconception that doing intervention doesn't work, because if you force somebody into treatment, that they're not going to do it for the right reasons, or they're not going to want to do it because they're not doing it out of their own self-determinism to begin with. Now, here's what everyone needs to think about. When I say everyone, just the people listening, you know, think about it from this viewpoint. You've got an addict that's using drugs on a regular basis. Okay. So they already can't make really positive decisions for themselves because their best thinking is getting them high every day and consistently using drugs or any other substance or behavior at that, you know, that matter that will help them deal with their problems, numb it out, put it to the side, whichever. So you've got a person that's not making any logical decisions on their own. Now, what do you think the chances are that one day they're going to say, you know what, mom and dad? I was thinking about it as I was shooting up in the bathroom but you were downstairs eating breakfast. And I said, you know what? This is probably not a good thing for me to do, so I want to get help. Happens sometimes, very rarely.
1: Well, what percentage would you say? I mean, when you started talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, 90% of addicts would be my thought are not going to originate hey, today's the day I think I should stop using heroin, even though it feels so good to get high every day. I think I'm going to stop doing that. Well, they
0: think about it – actually, an opiate addict will think about that every day while they're in withdrawal, but as soon as they get high again, I like think the withdrawals go away, then they're, they're not interested in getting help anymore.
1: Yeah, so they're not going to come to their parents or their loved one and go, okay, I think today's I to get clean. I'm sure, as you say – there's a small percentage that will do that, and right. and I've met some, and we've talked to some who finally do have that realization of eh, I think I need help. Yeah, but I mean, I mostly was, it's not going to happen.
0: No, I mean I was one of the few that was like I can't take it anymore. I don't know what to do. Right. Um, it was I, don't know, I was very willing to get help, but most aren't because you have, if you think about it, and I've said this a million times, but you know drugs are an addict's security blanket. It's how they deal with life. Offering them help, it's like a threat to their addiction. They'll do everything they can to protect their addiction um because without it they don't they don't they don't know how to deal with life and i've had parents say you know your the program sounds great and all this is all well and good but i'm not going to do anything i'm not going to pay money i'm not going to use insurance i'm not going to put my hope in my dreams in them getting well if they don't want it and you know when they come and ask me for help and say you know what mom dad i've had enough Then we'll talk, but and it's like no, no, no. Do not do that. That may
1: never happen. And And the last cry for help may be the the overdose that kills the guy. Right. And let me say one other thing. I want to add one other thing about this point is that if anybody is listening and thinking that you know intervention is going to be like some really horrific torture um, session, you know, with you know, it's going to be like super duper horrible. You need to go back and listen to the podcast with Bobby Newman because. Bobby Newman has a very set way to do interventions. Now, is the intervention going to be completely comfortable for the addict? No, No, because the family is going to confront the addict and tell the addict via letters why they would like to see the addict get help. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be comfortable. Let's face it. When you do something that harms other people, and you have to sit there and be confronted with those other people telling you mm-hmm. that you have harmed them that's not comfortable right. but it's not a torture session it's not you know lock him in a room it's it has a, it is a very precise procedure and methodology that bobby uses and he is hugely successful at it Mm -hmm. so if you're listening and you're thinking oh no i could never do an intervention because i want them to come to their own decision you need to go back specifically look through all of the episodes and find the ones where it's an interview with bobby newman and listen to those episodes Mm -hmm. because i want to tell you bobby is one of the He's actually a very compassionate individual yeah. because Bobby's been an addict. Right. So he knows what an addict is going through and he also knows that the family needs to be involved in the intervention. So anyway, I just wanted to add that little thing in there because yeah, the average guy is not gonna come to you. Your your average addict is not gonna come to you and say, Oh, okay, you know, we put me into rehab.
0: Right. Most of the time that doesn't happen and families right. think that you know that has to happen before they act. And unfortunately, People will die before they yeah. do that, and that's and that's sad. Now, the other misconception I want to discuss is that an intervention means you're forcing someone into treatment. That's not what the point of an intervention is. So, let's I want to take an opportunity to clear that up with anyone who might have questions or you know.
1: Yeah, we don't handcuff them to the withdrawal room. We can't do that. I mean, it's not going to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, an intervention is exactly what it means. If you if you were to look up the word intervention in a dictionary, it's the act of coming in between. Um, to things to halt something's progress. Exactly. Something to that degree. And so that's all the intervention does. You take an, an objective point of view, a neutral party comes in, separates parents, addicts, stop. What's going on? Let's look at this. The addict's not willing. All you need is a small amount of willingness to get an intervention done because an intervention is not taking someone against their will, black bag and them and throw them on a that, plane. That's what I'm saying. And then putting them in treatment. An interventionist comes in. And of course, there's the whole family component. Right. And the letters and things like right. that. But there's also a lot of one-on-one between the interventionist and the addict. And just having a, you know, a conversation about what's going on and what they're running into. And as that starts rolling, you end up seeing a person's willingness just come up just a little bit. And that's right. all you need. And you get them into treatment. And that little small amount of willingness allows them to voluntarily take their bags, go to the interventionist, go to the airport, get on the plane, get off the plane, get in the car and come to Narcanon. sign the paperwork voluntarily, checking themselves in, Getting down to detox and then let the drug start running out. Right. And let them start, you know, going through the withdrawal process. And as they get to the end of that and they start to realize as their head clears up a little bit and their judgment comes back in, they're like, Wow, this is actually I, I need to do this. Right. That's what the intervention does. It just stops as uh, you know something's forward progress and it gets in the middle of two things, separates out what's what, gets a little bit of willingness there, and then that's it.
1: Right, and and, and actually what it does is enable the addict to admit to wanting to get help because there's a little bit of a difficulty with that too. I mean, if you're an addict, you have had to justify the things you've done, like selling your grandmother's jewelry or stealing from your mother's purse. You've had to justify that throughout your history. And so one of the things I think the intervention process does is give the guy enough safe space if you will right to say maybe i do need some help and maybe i should get some help but you know back to what we were talking about before you know listeners if you know somebody that's addicted you have got to get them help there mm-hmm. are only two ways out of addiction one is to get sober through treatment and one is death. Right. And we don't want anybody else to die. Nope. You know, we've, we've, we we've know about people like that. In fact, you just did a whole thing at Narconon where you created like a memorial for people who had overdosed mm-hmm. because it was Overdose Awareness Day last week. Mm-hmm. And we don't want anybody else to die. I don't want any more parents to lose children or children to lose parents to to addiction. It doesn't have to happen. No. But you have to quit going on hoping If you're listening to this podcast and you know somebody who's addicted, you have to cease going on hoping that something will change without you taking action.
0: And no change happens without action. No change comes from inaction. That's just the kind of a logical... Exactly. You
1: have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not going to get better without you, listener, doing something about it. Correct. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you know. I don't care what the situation is. You have to do something about it. And if you can't think of anything else, call the 800 number, 877-339-3324, or... Go to narcanonsuncoast.org and a little chat window will open up Mm -hmm. and you don't have to say who you are, but you can ask any question that you want to ask. You can get all the information that you want, but you have to do something. You have to take action because the other thing I don't want for you, listener, is to a month down the line, you go, you know, I knew there was something up with Johnny, but I wasn't sure what it was and I didn't do anything, and now he's gone, and I don't know how to find him.
0: Could that, be dead, that, could not
1: be dead, but I don't know where he is, and I can't do anything about it.
0: That's game over. So
1: why didn't I do something when I
0: had the chance, you know? You no, know, I always tell parents, one of the biggest regrets is not doing anything. That's correct. You'll never regret. I I would rather you regret sending your child to a treatment center that maybe, you know, out there that maybe didn't work, but at least you tried something. right. But it's that's that's better than regretting it, not doing anything, and then your child dies that's or right. ends up in prison for the rest of their lives. Because that's there's that's the other way out of addiction is you go to prison. Yep. And not, you might not have even, you might not even get out of addiction there because a lot of people do tons of drugs in prison. Um, I actually wrote a blog about that months ago. That you know, there's this whole expose of these prison guards bringing in Suboxone to. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, so. It it doesn't turn out well if you don't do anything.
1: Right. Right. If you're listening, you need to do something.
0: And if that means, okay. an, an, and if you think an intervention won't work because you're forcing someone into treatment, let me have you get on the phone with tons of families of addicts who have come through the program by means of an intervention that have now been clean for years. So it's like we need to get rid of misconceptions. That's another thing. People have some fixed ideas about how things are supposed to go and not supposed to go. And sometimes they're wrong. Yes. That's exactly well, right. And sometimes I'm wrong, and that's fine. I can totally be wrong. You're about never wrong, Jason. You're just not always right. I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm less right. I'm, there's times I'm less right than others.
1: Exactly. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, since we were talking about this, is we've all we've given you other resources. Okay, if you don't want to hear it from Jason and I, or you don't want to call on we've given you other resources, like Learn to Cope. Mm-hmm. For one, that is a mentoring organization that will help you through the procedure of confronting the fact that your loved one is addicted. Mm-hmm. And they will tell you the same thing we tell you right now, that you cannot enable them. Right. So if you're giving them money, if you're letting mm-hmm. them live at your house, yep. if you are giving them succor in any way, mm-hmm. then you are enabling the addict. And they will tell you to get them in a treatment. Right. That's what they'll tell you. And if you don't want to hear from us mm-hmm. about um, intervention... Bobby Newman Intervention or Newman Interventions.com. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can go there. You can find out about you can find out about interventions. We've given you lots and lots of resources. You know, if you don't agree with what we've said about marijuana, you can go to drugfreeamerica.org and every stat, statistic, metric, backup white paper, everything you want to know is on there. But the point is you have to take action. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you will regret it every day of your life. Even if you take the wrong action, okay? There right. is really no wrong action. Oh. You could say, okay, you could, if you send your loved one to a rehab and they come back and they relapse, oh, that was wrong. No, it wasn't wrong. You took action. Right. You made, you made something happen and you did something. And okay, now you know that that type of rehab didn't work. Maybe now you know that you want to call the 877 number and maybe check out and alternative i'm doing my little quote fingers here an alternative rehab that doesn't use drugs that actually finds what the problem was for which drugs became a solution you've done something you've taken action and that's really a lot of what we talk about and i feel if we get more and more people that listen to the podcast to actually do that well then i think we are improving the scene i don't know Good. if i'd like to leave that on a scene. positive note and i like
0: that <laughs> I started off in a really dark note today. <laughs> I don't know if it's it raining outside, and I immediately went to like kids getting drugged on Halloween. Either way, look, we are affecting a change. Yes, in our arena here, exactly what we're doing, and so that's what we can do. Exactly, And each one of our listeners can do the same thing.
1: Exactly, and affect and the, the
0: change around them.
1: And the other thing is, the weather's getting cooler. We're heading toward Halloween yep. and Thanksgiving. Now is the time to get your loved one into rehab Mm -hmm. if you get them in now you could possibly get someone back who's clean and sober by christmas yeah no promises but i'm just saying Mm -hmm. if you decide oh no i'm gonna wait until the new year we've already talked about that over and over and over again that's a long time to Mm -hmm. not get help for an addict Mm -hmm. okay and yeah maybe they run the risk of being in rehab past christmas but they will have many more Christmases to come mm-hmm. if you do that, or many more Halloweens and Thanksgivings to come right. if you get them into treatment now. So there you go. We're going to keep pushing that, because Good. that's what we do. No, I like it. And so we'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm. I think we might have a couple interviews coming up. Okay. Um, we did have one schedule that um, had to be rescheduled, so we'll yeah. do that. That was with Sandy Winnefeld, so that's we'll okay. do that coming up. And. uh yeah, we're going to keep talking to you because uh, the message has to get across, and it and also there's a couple things I'd like you guys to do. If you're listening to the podcast and you like it, give us a good review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. That's a thing to do to help us with the podcast. Right. Um, also, we have a Facebook page just for the Addiction Podcast, mm-hmm. and so come and you know like the Facebook page, and um, yeah, and spread the word. If you know somebody who knows somebody who's addicted. Get them to listen to the podcast, okay? You're listening to it. Spread the word. Get other people to listen to the podcast. Because also um, Steve, who's the producer and also my husband, he always posts on the Facebook page and he always um, boosts the um, posts Mm -hmm. that he does. So you can share it. You can share it with your friends on social media. You can share it on Twitter and get, get other people to listen to it. That's how you, listening, can help us go from 30,000 to 300,000 downloads. And we'll, we will start making a difference. And you will, you will be able to say that you've helped. I like it. Okay, good. We'll talk again next week. You got it.